Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, brought to you by Nova Insider. We are back after a much, a very long break. I forgot we had a podcast. Yeah. (laughs) You were like, we should podcast. I was like, we do that stuff? Which we apologize for, kind of. Not really. Not really. Yeah. The season ended. You don't pay us. We, yes, true, (laughs) true. The season ended, um... Yeah, just candidly, we got really busy. Uh, April and May are crazy months for me, and there was some time, we took some time off, and that's it. That's all we got. And I gotta say, when Carson Edwards just kind of like puts you to sleep at the end of the season, yeah, makes it a little bit less inclined to get back on the horse there. Yeah, right. But look, a lot of current events, a lot of things going on. We still owed you the 40, so we're going to do that in back half of the podcast back i guess two-thirds of the podcast will be we'll see how it shakes yeah out. we'll see how it shakes out um but we got a lot going on a lot happening with villanova especially and we'll recap kind of the last like month and a half two months of a lot of things have taken place um so but first and foremost the one heart monitor we have to do an extended heart monitor yeah. this time and we always joke that the heart monitor never includes Lowry because Lowry's a known entity <laughs> yeah. and it is what it is. He's too good. He's too good. And so it's not worth talking about. Let's talk about the guys who are trying to develop and become players. Well, screw all that. The regular season ended and the only guy still playing right now is Kyle Lowry because him and his Raptors are in the finals getting ready to lose to the Warriors. <laughs> yes, let's be clear. They're definitely going to lose to the Warriors. But then again, a lot of people said they were going to get smoked by Milwaukee as well. And hey, they won 4-2. to two. So yeah. they got a shot. They definitely got a shot. As they say, any given Sunday, you yeah. can win an NBA championship. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they say. That's what they say. Yeah. That's what those basketball fans say. <laughs> anyway. Um, so no, so look, let's take some time. Obviously, Kyle Lowry has been... In any by any stretch of the imagination, the most successful Villanova player in the NBA during Jay's era. Yes. Right. Yes. Going ways back, like you could talk about Paul Arizon, you could talk about Kerry Kittles sure. for a short time period. Tim Thomas had an extended career. Yep. There was a lot of guys who had like extended careers, but Kyle Lowry has been a five-time All Star. Yeah. He's won a gold medal with USA. But really, the thing that he hadn't had was the validation uh, and vindication of making a finals and having that level of uh, attention on him. And not only that, his reputation prior to this year was that he was absolutely a regular season player and more or less a choker in the playoffs. Right. He had this weird reputation of the first game of the playoffs just being absolutely terrible. Yes. Like, weird repetition. But in any case... He's definitely moved beyond that. Though I will say, his playoffs did start off terrible again this right. year. Right, yeah, no, he had a rough start, and then and then he got going. Yeah. He got going. And look, I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Look, I don't think that there is, like, there's obviously a big, sorry, what I'm trying to say is, 
There's obviously a big jump between DeMar DeRozan, who is still an all-star, excellent, elite player, to Kawhi Leonard, who's literally like top three, five guy in the NBA. There's obviously a big jump there. Yeah, but that was the biggest thing that happened with the Raptors one season to the next. The only other big thing that happened to the Raptors is LeBron James is no longer in the East. Yeah, and so to be clear, if you're not a big NBA fan, what Chris is getting at is that the past few years... Kyle played with this guy, DeMar DeRozan, who was an all-star shooting guard on the Raptors, and they were BFFs. BFFs. They literally had a bromance, and it was like this point that people made. It was hilarious. They, like, joked around with each other, but they couldn't do shit in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, they were absolutely terrible. So, at the end of last season, the Raptors decided, hey, we're going all in. They traded DeMar DeRozan and a couple other things to get... Kawhi Leonard, who is a top five player in the NBA, as well as Danny Green, and that new Kawhi-Kyle chemistry has absolutely worked out and paid dividends. So yes, they got a huge upgrade, but that said, Kyle has absolutely stepped up, in particular in this Milwaukee series. The beginning of the playoffs, he was a little bit up and down, but he was their key second piece in the Eastern Conference Finals. He averaged like 20 points a game. He was shooting, I think it was close to 50% from three. He was absolutely rock solid when they needed somebody. Because if you did, if you watch the playoffs, Kawhi was literally limping around on like one leg. It was pretty nuts to see. So kudos to Kyle for getting over that hump and really being like... He was one a big focal absolutely, player. Obviously, absolutely. Kawhi was the guy. For sure. But Kyle Lowry was right there as the other focal player. Kind of like the... Uh, maybe maybe a little bit less than, but like the Kyrie to LeBron's compliment like, type of player on yeah. the Raptors. Yeah, yeah, Right, I'm not saying, I'm not equating talent, I'm just saying like the the 16 Cleveland Cavaliers, yeah. it was LeBron James with Kyrie Irving. Yes. And this year it's Kawhi Leonard with Kyle Lowry. And Though some would say Pascal Siakam, but anyway, we're, we're, point, 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 point No, point, it's yeah, Kyle. Yeah. Okay, okay, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. But yeah, so he's been he's been really phenomenal, and and I, and I think this has been a thing because people have used that comment about his playoff woes as a weapon to say he's an overrated player uh, in general. And I don't, I just never thought that was true. He's always been known as a tough nosed bulldog guy, good defender, um, defends above his height, uh, and as an excellent player. And, and look, this year he's got he's been averaging 14, 15 points a game. 9-10 assists per game, 5-6 rebounds a game. And that's actually just been a li- only a slight bit up from his career averages uh, overall. So this, this he's been excellent throughout his career, and he's been even more so this year. He's elevated his game. And now they're going into the into the finals with – I mean, they are 2-0 and versus the Warriors this year. Yeah. I, that doesn't mean shit. Sure, but <laughs> they are two and zero versus them this year, and it just came out that Durant is out for game one at least. Yeah, that would be um, interesting. I, I do want to. You mentioned Kyle making those kind of like bulldog plays. It's amazing watching the games. You absolutely see that attitude that Jay always preached. Kyle is absolutely hustling. He is laying his body on the line. I think he was. I want to say he was number one in charges taken during the regular season. But he continues to do it against Giannis, against whatever big man is coming through the lane. He has no regard for his own body, just steps in there, takes a charge, tries to take a charge. It's awesome. And Raptors fans love him. 
Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, he's a staple within the Toronto basketball community at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, look, I don't think it's going to be a four-game sweep. I think the Warriors are going to win because how could you bet against the Warriors? It's tough to. Yeah, but they get a shot. What's, what's your prediction? Warriors in... <laughs> Warriors in five. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll go Warriors in six. I'll, I'll give I'll give the Raptors two. Yeah. So, Warriors host or do Raptors host? I actually don't know. Raptors are uh, sorry. The Warriors are, are hosting. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then, yeah, I would go. The Warriors are going to win at home. Yeah. The, the Toronto will win a game in Toronto. Okay. I think that's why get, I'm I think going with you. Yeah. Okay. All, All right. right. We'll see. Cool. All right. Should we move on to our next topic then? Yeah. So let's talk. Caleb Daniels. Yeah, so we've got a lot of a lot of things, a lot of comings and goings at Villanova. So maybe could we summarize that real quick, and then we'll do Caleb. Yeah, yeah. So right. So number of things have happened since since we last podcasted. One, Quinterly decides to transfer out of the program. Shocker. Shocker. <laughs> Just kidding. Shocker to nobody. <laughs> two. We are sad to see him go though. I mean, let, let's be real. We'll, we'll yeah, get we'll to get to it, it we'll in the forties. But two, uh, we have. Um, Chris Archie Diacono committing to Villanova. I think I've heard his last name before. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. That's sounds, how I know it. a little I, bit familiar. It's familiar, which is why I was able to pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caleb Daniels uh, coming in. And Tim Delaney did transfer. I think that was – I think that <laughs> came true. out prior to our last <laughs> that podcast. That is true. Tim did transfer and yeah. graduate. Yeah. But Tim Delaney did graduate with a finance degree yes. from Villanova. Fitting. And now he's going to Adelphi for some graduate schools and – play a little bit more basketball. Yeah. And he's just trying to delay the inevitable of Murray Hill bars with all f- other finance I bros. I saw him checking it out. I yeah, now out. Hill's going to be at J-Tree. He's going to be at the Flying Cock in Murray Hill any day now, just waiting on his arrival with a couple Bud Lights. I love it. All right. So anyway, yeah, a lot of people in out. Um, we can talk about Caleb Daniels for a minute. So what do you need to know? Caleb Daniels just wrapped up his sophomore year down at Tulane. And let me tell you, he is coming from a high-profile program. <laughs> Tulane smoked the American last year. They were a blistering 27-4. and four. Uh, I think you got the record wrong. Shit, you're right. It's four and twenty-seven. They were terrible. Yeah. They were fucking terrible. Oh and eighteen. <laughs> yes. Four and twenty-seven. He did not win a game in conference. But he was the best player. But he was the best player. He was the biggest Tulane. fish in the smallest pond. Yeah. Anyway, so he's like a point guard ish. He's a ball handler. He's not a Jalen Brunson one. I mean, he's not Jalen Brunson no. for sure. No, no, no. But no. look, he's like he's like a scorer. He shoots like fifty percent from two. He's like thirty-five percent from three. So he's like a capable shooter. He's a capable shooter. He played in. Look, it gives me some comfort that he played in the American because we got some we had some questions from users. Is this Cremo Part Two? Mm. A no, I don't think so because I think we'll get into Cremo a little bit later. But I think Cremo just never found a shot this year. Yeah, and then I think the benefit that Daniels will have is that he'll have a whole year to sit out and get used to the program before it's more, playing. It's more akin to a Pascal transfer, right? Much more akin to a pa- Do I expect him to be a Pascal type transfer? No. No, because how could you expect that? Yeah. But 
I do think it'll be much closer to a Pascal than it would be to a Cremo. And it's because, one, you get a year to learn the system, which includes the defense, which you know is tough, and then you have two years to build on that. Correct. Instead of just, hey, you're here day one. So, yeah. So, as a fan, don't think this is going to be Cremo. Unfortunately, we don't have him available next year where we actually need another ball handler, but... Whatever. But he's yeah, also coming from the American, which is not as good broadly, although they were better this year than the Big East. The American's not as good of a conference as the Big East, but it's not like the jump from where like the America East were like Albany was or oh, whatever God, they were yeah. in last year. So it's not like he's making that type of jump. Yeah. Much more close. It's a better conference than the A-10 where Pascal came from. For so, sure, for sure. So, it is, so he's the best player on a bad team coming from a solid conference. So he has had major level competition, playing the likes of the Cincinnati's, the Wichita States, uh, the Yukons of the world, um, the Houston's of the world. So there's pedigree there. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Look, it's it's exciting to get somebody new. Exciting to have somebody who comes in. All right, so let's move on since we've exhausted Caleb Daniels. Yeah. At this so point. so let's talk a little bit about Chris Archidiakono. All right, Chris Archidiakono. His last name is Archidiakono. That's literally all you need to know. (laughs) Chris Archidiakono was not rated coming out of high school. He did a prep year um, at wherever he did a prep year. He's had a few good years. His stats are okay. He's a fine high school school player. He's not not a rated, he's not a ranked player, right? He's not a good player. No, we got to be honest about what we're getting here, right? People see Archidiakono. It's a good press story. It's nice. And it's great. And I think it's great. And I think that we bring him in and I get the family play. I get all of that. I think that's good. I think a lot of that's good. I don't, if people are expecting the next coming of Ryan, no. Stop. Hard no. Hard no. Be great if it happens. This isn't even, don't even expect like a Colin Gillespie trajectory because Colin was similarly like, oh, he's kind of a no name recruit. No, Colin was like, still actually had like a little bit of a ranking, like yeah, not three star guy. Yeah. And had been through, like, the top levels of Pennsylvania basketball and had played against a lot of top flight competition. This is a little bit different. Yeah, correct. Right. And the weirdest thing is he looks like Ryan, Chris does, but Colin actually looks more like Ryan than, yes. than, than, than Chris so, Archie. Without, without a doubt. Without a doubt, yeah. <laughs> um, Switch so to birth. He's a guard. I, I don't expect much. Yeah. And I don't think you should expect much. No. But it's a nice addition. Doesn't hurt to fill out the bench a little bit more. He's definitely going to be better than a walk-on, but not as good as what you would expect out of a traditional scholarship player. Yeah, we'll see. Anyway, yeah, don't expect a whole lot. All right, so that's that. So that's our comings and goings. Uh, oh, JQ. JQ. Uh, JQ. Who hasn't not. picked, as of this date, his transfer location. That's correct. Um but JQ definitely decided to leave. We'll get to him a little bit later in as we get into the 40s, but... Uh, yeah, he's moving on after conversations with his family. Not a particularly surprising mm-hmm. uh, decision. He had, did announce that he was going to evaluate after the season was over. He did evaluate it. He decided to leave. My guess is that Jay sat him down and said, look, either you're buying in or you're just not going to see the floor ever. And you, and even then you might, you might not, not. Yeah. You might not see the floor. Absolutely. And with JQ, I think there's a couple of things here. I think potentially a misrated guy, kind of guy who had a lot of hype coming out of high school, but maybe a potentially misrated. He was rated a five-star guy. I just never saw five-star aptitude once this season. Yeah, the decision-making wasn't quite there. It left uh, a lot to be desired. And look, we dissected JQ 
a lot throughout the year. Yeah. So we don't need to hash on, rehash on that. All I'll say is that definitely wish him the best of luck wherever he goes. What I thought was really interesting is when he left and he announced he was transferring, all the Nova guys were out on social media being like, hey, man, like, miss you, brother, like, good luck, all that good stuff. So it definitely doesn't seem like there was a cancerous relationship in the locker room or anything like that. Seems like, look. Bad fit. Bad fit. You move on. You have some hits. You have some misses. And good luck to him. Yep. Wish he was here, but he's not. Yeah. So that does leave a dearth at the point guard position. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So Jermaine Samuels will be playing point guard next year. Yeah, so look, we do have a, an exciting class coming in. Chris Archie Diacono adds <laughs> to what is an exciting class of, of Brian Antoine, uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, uh, Justin Moore, and Eric Dixon. And aside from Antoine, who made... A decision we think is a pretty intentional decision to not stick it out. We do have some exciting news to share about the other three guys. Yeah, all of our other three guys got invited to the mini camp for the Team USA under 19 camp, where there are about 35 players who get invited to that, which is the first camp to cut down the roster ahead of the U19 FIBA World International World Cup Basketball Championship this summer. Exactly. Exactly. But in all seriousness, it's a pretty big deal. It's a great honor. Um, it's a mix of guys who are actually have one year of college under their belt as well as a lot of high schoolers and it's definitely a, a great opportunity for them to go refine their skills play against some of the best players in the world and just get another summer of practice ahead of coming into school so it'll be really cool to see which of those guys actually make the team jre was um, participated and i think participated on the team last year as well too and he's obviously the highest rated of our recruits who are attending there so good chance he makes it we'll see how the other ones pan out there but regardless i do a great honor i do expect jre to make it i would i, I would hope so yeah. um and just so you guys know like the coach of that team is matt painter um of the purdue boilermakers boiler mm. up yeah mm. anyway we'll get to yeah. that we'll get to that <laughs> a little bit later um, but yeah really cool honor and then along with that a couple other things happened since we last did our podcast most recently, Eric Dixon was just named uh, Pennsylvania Basketball Player of the Year. Yeah, can we record scratch and stop here on Eric? Yeah, on Eric Dixon here <laughs> because I saw a picture of this dude. Holy hell! Yeah. He looked when we got him looked like a guy who can needed to you know young kid, little baby fat, little baby fat yeah, needed yeah. to grow into his body a little bit. Yeah, this that and the other thing, but needed also like we said, we said at the time too. Get this kid a couple years of Shaq fit. Yeah. And man, yeah. Um, not a couple years of Shaq fit. Looks like Shaq fit is already pre-installed on this model. Yeah. Right? Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, look, he, and he got he a well-fitting suit, but he looks good. Yeah, he looks fantastic. Yeah. Right? You can even see it in his face. That's how you know. Yeah. Right? Like, yes, yes. He was, yeah, the, the picture I'm talking about, he was in a suit. Yeah. And Rob is a very big connoisseur of good-fitting suits. Um, that being said... Yes, he's a super. You can even see in his face the definition, etc. This kid looks built. He looks ready to go. He already looks pre-Shack fit. Yeah. Ready. 
So, so this is really exciting because how many players who have panned out didn't do that? Like a Spellman, yeah. a Jenkins, etc. Yeah, came Spellman, in with that. Spellman really didn't pan out. <laughs> yeah, it came in with that fat, but ended up panning out amazingly yeah. once they got Shaq fit. This kid, Dixon, was kind of like outside the top 100 when we first got him and is now all the way up to like top 50, 60 type of guy. And with his body already is starting to look ready for the part of coming in and being a Big East basketball player. So what I once thought might be just in terms of playing, I mean, it still could end up being this way, a potential redshirt candidate to kind of get in shape and do that in shape year and then grow into it and whatever. All of a sudden looks like a guy who's body ready, can shoot the ball. Yes. Right? He has an outside shot. Yeah, he has an outside shot. This kid's looking a lot more. I'm not calling him Omari Spellman, but he is looking more like an Omari Spellman J. Javon Pinkston type of candidate more yeah. earlier than I thought, and hopefully that body readiness pans out. And he's been absolutely electric, like a total stud on the Pennsylvania basketball circuit yeah. with like 28 points a game and something like that this entire year. Yeah. So this is a big. This is going to turn out. I think. I think Eric Big E is going to turn out to be a pretty big time guy coming in. I hope so. Well, so one thing that I was thinking about this is we're seeing him. We're like, oh, it looks like he slimmed out. His height's listed at 6'6". Now, that's a height listing from a year plus ago. A kid who's 16, 17 years old obviously still has some potential to have some growing. So I'm crossing my fingers hoping that, hey, maybe that 6'6 turned into 6'8", in which case we're talking about, all right, this is a little bit of a bigger player in general than we bought into. Because 6'6" totally serviceable right i mean that's basically what eric uh measured out at the combine right but that said like you'd love to have another couple inches there yeah and if that's the way it panned out like hey he slimmed down he got a little bit taller i'm sure he's going to add some muscle like yeah we got a banger underneath we had a final four team with dante cunningham at the five and he was six eight yeah that's true and that was in a different era too of basketball it's now much more of a spread spread out spread you out shoot Shoot him up, sleep in the streets lineup. So you can go far with a guy it's 6'8 oh. at the five. Yeah, and what, I mean, and, and he's got plenty of, and, and he's on the depth chart. He is not, a, he, we're not asking him to be a starter day one by any stretch of the imagination. No. So, so I th- I have high hopes about uh, Dixon. Yeah, it's going to be exciting next year. There's going to, there's so, if we thought we had question marks coming into this year, the question marks next year for roster construction and totally the different. teams are going to roll out are going to be endless we're not going to cover those during this podcast but we'll later because we could speculate for days about what that's going to look like it's yeah. going to be fun to be oh honest. it's going to be fun when we get to hoops mania next year and get around that time to speculate roster construction the only thing i will highlight up front we've already touched on it here already is that the biggest question going into next year is going to be the point guard position sure that is easily going to be the story of the year yeah period definitely. for sure but uh, we have to cover and we have to do our final touches on this the year that was. Absolutely. With our episode called The 40s, which we're going to take a quick break here, hear from Nova Insider, and then on the way back, we're going to come back and we're going to do The 40s. We have a lot of ground to cover. So stay tuned. The next half is going to be pretty exciting, fun stuff. Uh, we'll see you in a minute. Hello, everyone. It's Chris from the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, brought to you by Nova Insider. Season's over, but Nova Insider and the Full 40 continue on nevertheless. 
check out Nova Insider on either their Instagram page or their Twitter page. Link in the bio. You can sign up to help out for a good cause. Uh, very charitable organization. You can also check out their store. It's a great, some great Nova Insider gear. And you can also check out past episodes of the Full 40 and additional other content. So again, check out the Instagram or Twitter bio page for the link to the website. You can't go wrong with Nova Insider. Thanks. And as always, let's go Nova. All right, everyone. Welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob. And now we'd like to welcome you to a segment of the podcast. We do it every year. It's the second annual episode of The 40s. Boom. Which is where we hand out theoretical bottles of malt liquor <laughs> as awards based on this season. Yes. Rob and I each get to hand out one of our own. We don't have to come to a unanimous decision and hand out one each. And the reason for that is because... We do a podcast and you don't, so we make we the make rules. rules. We make the rules here on The Full 40 with Chris and Rob because, as I just said, it's with Chris and Rob, so we get to call the shots. And as we advised last year, if you want to make your own 40s, you can start your own podcast. That's right. You do you. You do you. Our first bunch of podcasts were all done on my phone. Yeah. So you can do it. Let's go. We encourage it. Yes. The more the merrier. Yep. So... Um, without further ado, we're going to get into it. And again, theoretical bottles of malt liquor go to the winners. And Rob and I each get our own uh, winner for each category. We have nine categories this year we're very excited about. Let's just jump right in with most improved. And the reason why we picked this category – also, we invent the categories too. Just <laughs> yeah, they change from year to year. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason why we picked most improved is because we really felt like improvement was a storyline this season and that we didn't know what to really expect. And obviously it was a Booth and Pascal year. We knew that going in. But it was also a second storyline is who is going to develop into that next set of people who are going to theoretically be in charge on a go-forward basis. So three candidates easily came to mind. No one else really surfaced themselves. Um, and those candidates were Sadiq Bey, uh, Jermaine Samuels, and Colin Gillespie. And I think what you have here with the three of them is each had their own unique arc of improvement, mm. so to speak. So Bay was the kind of the least heralded yep. of the four recruits that we got last year and ended up turning into the best player. So versus expectation, we're saying Bay was most improved, even though he's coming off of freshman year. He was a four-star guy, but kind of like a low, late commit type guy. No one expected too much of him. People were talking about a potential redshirt and ended up being a full-time starter by the second half of the year all the way through and a constant contributor. For sure. Okay. Jermaine Samuels was a crazy trajectory this year because he came in so and everyone was like, what do we expect? Oscillated in and out of the starting lineup, finally got the stretch five kind of starter role. Yeah. Had a couple of flashes in the big five games that we played at home, then went totally dark for like the entire month of January. <laughs> yeah. Went through this period of like, I will not shoot the ball. I will not shoot the ball. Yeah. I will not shoot the ball. And so then strange. all of a sudden at the back end of the year was our third best player. Yeah. Right? And the X factor on the team in the last month of the season in a big way. Yeah. 
right? And then Gillespie, you had um, the improvement was really last year where he was a well, – when I say last year, I mean 17-18, where on the national championship team, he was like that last guy off the bench type of guy, came in, was a spot-up shooter, did not do much else, not a great defender by any stretch of the imagination, kind of just a guy that fills some time to allow Jalen Brunson, DiVincenzo – Booth, etc., and co. get them some rest. Gillespie came in, had a very strong, consistent performance throughout the year. Did have a slump for a little bit, caused by he was us. It, yeah us us <laughs> yeah. yes caused by us and an illness. Um, the illness was us, um, <laughs> <laughs> but really had been a strong, constant, consistent contributor throughout the entire season. So most improved kind of his development happened mostly off season. Samuels happened during the season, and Bay was just totally versus what we expected. Yep. Who you got? I'm going to go with Colin on this one. And I'm going to go with Colin for the following reason. Because when you look at where Colin was last year, like we said, like just straight-up role player, and frankly, even at the end of last season, my expectations for him just weren't that high. Because, like, yeah, he came in, he wasn't heralded, he did his little bit of a job. He now came. He now got to the point where he has solidified himself as yeah. This is a Big East point guard. Is he Jalen Brunson? No, he's not Jalen Brunson. Is he going to be Jalen Brunson? No, he's not going to be Jalen Brunson. But he's now gotten to the point where he is partially through the way the rosters played out, partially through his own skill level. He is the guy and the primary ball handler next year. Right. And we're okay with that. I would love for somebody else to be there to spell him a bit, but he's the guy, and I'm comfortable with that aspect of the offense. And because he's been able to make that jump where I'm saying, yeah, we're rolling with Colin next year, and I feel pretty good about that, he gets my award. He gets my 40. I am not quite sold on Colin as the primary ball handler. I love the kid. Absolutely love the kid. Not... Like, very happy with his progression. Way better. Like, I, all, all kudos, seriously, to the kid. Because I, I didn't think that we'd get here. And it's a testament to his hard work and dedication. And, and he really put the work in in the offseason to get there. I am still wish that we had another, like, big-time guy. That would be, the that would be to me, the X factor that would take us from being a team that I expect to, again, be maybe a top Sweet 16-type would be our ceiling, maybe elite eight type of appearance type of thing. To if you had like a truly elite level point guard to being a Final Four national championship contender, that to me is the difference. Uh, so, but I get it, I, and I get that I get that choice. I'm gonna I'm gonna change and go with Samuels. I love a story that I can see throughout the year, and to me, Samuels was just during the year itself. You saw the wheels turning early. You see him start to figure it out, have a setback, and then all of a sudden step up and become a prime-time performer. Um, and seeing that and seeing those machinations in play, really, kind of, it's kind of almost inspiring. Yeah. And so for that reason, I'm going with uh, Jermaine Samuels. And I love the fact that his confidence was earned. And so for that, he gets my 40. So guys, drink up. Love it. Earned and so visible too. Yes. He's a guy you can you can literally see the confidence growing on him as the game goes on. Hundred percent. Which is amazing. All right. So then we're gonna get into uh, let's do 
best individual performance of the season. Mm. And this is our guy's best individual performance. Okay. Okay. And I'm just going to rattle them off yeah, yeah, real do quick. Yeah, do it quick. Uh, so you had Gillespie at 30 versus Georgetown. Fun fact, Gillespie is the only player to score 30 points in a game this year for Villanova. Didn't bet you didn't think that did, was... Did not see that one coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Samuels had 29 versus Marquette. Booth had 28 versus Creighton. Booth had 29 versus at KU. Booth had 28 versus Xavier in the Big East tournament. And then Pascal, mm. when we had the comeback win versus St. John's, Pascal had 25 versus St. John's at home in the pavilion. So a lot of Booth on there to choose from. Yeah. But you also got uh, each of the other th- uh, main three guys. I'm going I'm going with uh, Samuels. And Samuels, for a couple reasons, one, because that game was his breakout game. It is still his career game. And it was a huge turning point in the season. We're coming off a three-game losing streak at that point. You lose that game to Marquette, that would have been four in a row. And I could have just seen the guys throwing in the towel at that point. Yeah. And he was the one who kept us in that game, who propelled us to the win. Samuels gets my 40. I love it. Uh, I'm going to not pick that one. That's shocking. That's incorrect. (laughs) That is is just incorrect. I'm going to not pick that one. Um, I thought about, I entertained the concept of picking Gillespie's 30 versus Georgetown, but I am not purely out of fear that that was the game that we said, we talked a lot about him after the game on the podcast and sent him into his slump. So I refuse to pick him out of fear that we could be in an all-season slump next year. Yikes. Um, I'm actually going to pick Booth's 28 versus Xavier in the Big East Tournament. Which is that the overtime game? That was the overtime yeah, game. So huge, Booth had a huge, huge game. Yeah, yeah. That was critical at that point in time. We ended up going on to win the Big East tournament at an electric game versus Seton Hall in yeah. the final. Um, but that game was gigantic. And look, I think that the thing about this season for this team was the fact that we were able to win the Big East regular season and tournament. And that was the game. And I needed to pick, in my mind... Booth deserved a pick in it, and I wanted to make sure I got it done. All right, fair enough. So Booth gets my 40. Cool. Uh, and Samuels already has an Edward 40 hands going. He's just so stocking them up. Something to watch mm, as we go forward into this. Interesting, interesting. Um, all right, so we just bid best individual performance for us. How about best individual performance against us? <laughs> there so, were some doozies. Yeah, so <laughs> I think this is going to boil down to two performances. But we're get, we have five in here. Oh, gosh. All right, so, rattle them off. Yeah, r- rattling them off. Yeah, Powell had 25 against us uh, in the conference final uh, championship in the Big East tournament. Okay. I thought it was worth a mention. Fine. Uh, you had Vic had 29 against us. Gerald Vic had 29 against us in Kansas. <laughs> Didn't even end the season on the team. Strange. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So... Lawson, though, I would actually argue outdid Vic in that game. Oh, we couldn't we couldn't stop uh, Diedrich Lawson. He had 28 points in that game and 12 boards. He was all over the place. He was the difference maker in that game. Anytime they took him out, we went on a run. Anytime they put him back in, he stopped Fucking it. Fucking man. So, uh, so I actually rank him even in the, even within that as ahead of him personally. Then you had Marcus Howard at 38 against oh. us. Um, in what felt like Marquette's last win of the season, <laughs> it, it wasn't. <laughs> so true. It wasn't, but it kind of felt so like true. it um, when Mark, uh, when Howard and Co. beat us at uh, at their home last, on Marquette Day, last stand of the Housers. And then, of course, you have Womp Womp. Carson Edwards had forty two points. Womp Womp. 
in the in the second round of the NCAA tournament when Purdue absolutely blew us out. Yep. Who you got? Carson Edwards. It's Carson Edwards. It's Carson Edwards. There are some great ones in there, but it's Carson Edwards. Yeah. This yeah. is one of those like you make the comparison to last year where it's just like, oh yeah, you can't stop this. Yeah. Nothing's gonna stop it. I entertain Marcus Howard just because and it's weird because I entertain Marcus Howard because I said to myself, Okay, without Marcus Howard if Marcus Howard had thirty six in that game, we win by one. Mm, right. Interesting. And interesting. so you don't win the game without it. But I actually think that Marcus Howard, if he didn't, if he had thirty six, the Hauser brothers would have had ten more each. Like, yeah, yeah like that's true. I think Marcus Howard, and we'll get into this a little bit later, detracts from Marquette overall, and it ended up getting there. And that's in our next category. Carson Edwards forty two made his entire team better. And it, Andy, he continued that the next game too. It yeah. wasn't a fluke. He was just. On that fire could. that tournament. Yeah. He was killing it. Yeah. it. It's Carson Edwards. Yeah. All right. Now that we've talked about who killed us, let's talk about the moments where we get to say, hey, look at them. At least we're not <laughs> them. This is what we call the hey, look at them insecurity moment. And and I will say this is one of these where it's like, ah, you look at our year, you're like, hey, you know what? We didn't make the Final Four this year. I'm disappointed. But then you look around and you say, oh could be a lot worse. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel a little bit better. It could be a lot worse. Right. So we're insecure here at the full 40. Yeah. Um, as many sure. in the nomination are, candidly, just looking at Villanova Twitter. Um, but we're going to lean into that insecurity and point and laugh. Exactly. Let's do it. Right. So uh, first down is St. John's coaching search, which <laughs> is ridiculous. Oh, my um, God. So they wound up with Mike Anderson. Yeah. Um, not, and not a bad hire. It wasn't a terrible hire. Had they just gotten him from the start, but instead it was this long, drawn-out process where St. John's clearly thought they were better than everyone else and were still playing in the 1980s where yeah, they could dictate like a top-tier job, yeah. yeah. And it, was, it became very apparent very early on that either you were going to see St. John's, or what you should have done was either see St. John's Hire Rick Pitino and just make a big splash and give a I don't give a fuck to anyone else yeah. type of splash, which they didn't do because I wouldn't I wouldn't expect them to. Or hire Tim Clues from Iona, which was yeah, what everyone thought it should be, hire. and he just never got a call back and ultimately withdrew his name so from the search. Which spurred on, and this was the funny part, spurred on a guy calling in to Mike Francesa on the fan or whatever he's on these days. And just absolutely is a guy who's like on the board of trustees. He's like very involved with the school. Absolutely going bananas for like a 20-minute rampage of rant. Terrible. On the on St. John's University. So it ended up working out kind of for them. And I think he got some guys to stay. And I think he'll be fine. But it's a long game hire. This is not a guy who's rebooting their program overnight. And it started with them pushing out the door. Um, Chris Mullen. So Chris Mullen wasn't a good coach. I think they did the right thing, but man, they just did everything wrong in this entire mess. Likewise, the hey, look at them moment, St. John's totally falling apart. Terrible. Awful. Absolutely. Awful during the year. This is a team that was projected. I mean, John Rothstein said this is the most talented roster in the Big East. I didn't think he was wrong. And they made the NCAA tournament by literally being the last team in the field and then got their shit kicked in by Arizona State Absolutely. in the first four. Embarrassing. All right, next. Next. Um, speaking of meltdowns, Marquette's meltdown oh, of their God. own, which really culminated in two in a couple ways. One is we'll get to in its own category, um, but 
in two ways. One, the absolute destruction at the hand of John Morant and Murray State. <laughs> and two, the locker room and otherwise total meltdown versus Seton Hall in the semifinal round of the Big East tournament where they whined and complained about the refs Oh my God, endlessly. so bad. It was embarrassed, a total embarrassment. Like Wojo could have been fired just on the strength of that alone. It's unreal. They didn't fire him. And Marquette lost so many games to end the season, and it was a total disaster. It was mu- very much a 2011-2010-2011 uh, Villanova-type finish to that year. But really the culmination of the meltdown was Marcus Howard decides to come back to yes. school, doesn't keep his name in the draft, and almost immediately thereafter, the Hauser brothers who are easily the second and third best players yeah, on that team. great players. Great players. We'd love to have them on our team. Decide to leave the program, <laughs> which nobody outside of maybe a handful of Marquette fans who were like tied into the program had any sense was a possibility. Yes, this took everybody by surprise. Total craziness. And then it was like, then people were calling for Wojo's head. Should he be fired? Rightfully so. He actually just got a new contract, actually. Just give him um, a five-year extension. Amazingly. I don't know how. Yeah. Maybe there's maybe the whoever gave him the contract just doesn't read the news. Yeah, and he's not a mature coach. He's not a great coach. Whatever. All right. So those are those are our nominees, right? Yeah. Um. Let's see. Of those, I think I'm going to go with. I think I'm going to go with the the St. John's meltdown, not the coaching search, the meltdown. Interesting. Yeah. Just because it was just a reminder of what it takes to actually lead a team. Even when you think you have all the pieces to lead a team, to get something done throughout the entire year, to not only win a Big East title, but also perform in March. And it was clear that talent alone does not do that. We talked about it throughout the season. Chris Mullen did not have the chops to coach that team. It panned out, and it was just like, yep, well, screw you. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Housers transferring. Okay. Um, partially because it was, I think it was partially spurred on by that meltdown. Mm, you never know, hundred mm. percent exactly. Yeah, but, if you're winning titles, everybody's helping. But let's put it this way: St. John's coaching search was going drastically horrible, and all of a sudden the Housers announced that they're transferring, and that was earth-shattering, caught the entire world by storm. And it was like a moment where St. John's and everyone got to take a breath and point <laughs> the at them and laugh. The entire college basketball world was like, "What the fuck." So, so I'm going with that. So look at them. Marquette was supposed to be this team even going into next year where they could have been top five. Oh, yeah, the they Big were East. top five, like, with assuming yeah. the Housers were back. And now they're not even in some people's top 25. Yeah, totally changed the team. That's a good – okay, that's a good point. That's a good yeah. point. All right. Um, we're going to stick with program-type stuff. What was the best rejection? And what I mean by rejection is not blocks. Mm. Uh, I mean – there were three coaches who said no that I know of. Three coaches that I said that said no to jobs that were just very public and very apparent, and everyone was like, "Holy crap!" Um, one, Kevin Willard, pu- very publicly snubbed Virginia Tech after Virginia Tech lost um, Buzz Williams. Yep. Ed Cooley very recently publicly snubbed Michigan. I uh, didn't get a formal offer but was invited out there, looked like to be the premier candidate. Yep. Uh, John Beeline very surprisingly left Michigan um, to be the head coach of the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
um, actually ran into John Bayline. You knew about this prior to <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> I ran into John Bayline, who was wearing a Michigan shirt. He was in New York. Um, thought nothing of it. Thought he was just maybe visiting a recruit or something like that. Ended up being the nicest guy. Um, so I was just very surprised. Caught me by surprise. But it was nice. I did not <laughs> throw it in his face that we beat him in the 2018 championship game. Um, but Ed Cooley stayed at Providence. Kevin Willard stayed at Seton Hall. And then the third one is actually our own Jay Wright, who it was reported that UCLA called Jay and offered to double whatever you're getting in Villanova. And Jay said no. <laughs> didn't even get off one phone call. Didn't even say, I'll think about it. No, just said no. I love it. I love it. Um, who do you got? It's tough. This one. This one's tough because I go back and forth on like, look, obviously Jay saying no is is a great snub. But that doesn't get my award, and it does not get my award because he said no to so many people already. I expect him to say no. That wasn't news to me. That was always that was that to me was kind of like, yeah, come on, UCLA, like you're a fucking joke. The bigger one to me was, and I think actually, the biggest one to me was Kevin Willard saying no to Virginia Tech. Hmm. Kevin Willard is still a young coach who said no to an ACC, a good ACC job. So that is, as much as we love the Big East, it's not the preeminent basketball conference. The preeminent basketball conference in the country is the ACC. Kevin Willard has a chance to jump ship. There's a lot of money there, and he said no. And that, to me, says a lot about the stability and the future of the Big East, that hopefully you can get a couple guys who take a different path than Chris Holtman and say, hey, I need to jump to a bigger thing that we can actually build on these coaches and have them build their own brand within the Big East, like Jay, like um, McDermott at Creighton, and you start to build a little bit more of that cachet where the Big East starts to become a little bit more of a stable place rather than a middle ground for coaches. Yeah. I get that pick, Kevin Willard. I mean, look, Buzz Williams left Marquette, which was a yeah. which is a known to be a better program than Seton Hall. Yeah. Right? Buzz Williams left Marquette to go to Virginia Tech. Yeah. And Kevin Willard snubbed Virginia Tech. Yeah. Which is way better than where than it was when Buzz Williams went there. For sure. because um, Buzz sure. did yeah. a great job. Yeah, yeah, he did a terrific job there. Right. Way better than they are there. And decided to stay at Seton Hall. So that was big. That said, I'm picking Ed Cooley. Okay. Reason being, Kevin Willard had more, I think, in my opinion, more success at Seton Hall than Cooley has had at Providence. And Michigan is a better program than Virginia Tech by a, mo- by a well, mile. Well, that's very true, yeah. Right. So Ed Cooley okay, yeah. had, was going from a lower starting a gap. point yeah, of, yeah. to okay. a much okay. higher position yeah. and ended up snubbing them and staying home at Providence. And that from there, I totally agree, though, with your point about these Big East coaches sticking around, and I think they all have this dream, and I think Jay's were the one. They all have this dream of saying, I don't want to mess with happy. I'm happy in this conference. Yeah. I love being the big dog on campus. I love what we're doing here in the Big East. Let's stick it out. Ed Cooley's pay- pulling in good recruiting classes. Kevin Willard's got good recruiting classes. Jay's getting good recruiting classes. These have been the three best, most fun programs to watch in the Big East other than Xavier, with Chris Mack leaving, um, since the Big East has really formulated, and each of them has had Big East tournament titles to show for it. Yeah. Um, so, I really think that there could be something going here, and we could see more 
Villanova, Seton Hall, Providence, you know, wars at, at Madison Square Garden in the future, and it'll be because these guys have such a history. So that's definitely a good point there. Like All right. So we've talked a lot about other programs. What do we have left category-wise about us? So we got favorite win of the year. Mm, okay, let's do that. Yeah, so, so let's go let's back and bring talk. It, bring it back positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll tease right now that the last category is about Shaq Fit Man Play of the Year. Oh, good, So good, that's good. our last yes. category. We have three more other to cover before we get there. Okay, that. we'll move quickly through that. Yeah, so favorite win, we put six up. Florida State mm, down right. in Orlando. Yep. Uh, UConn, which mm. we only put in there. UConn's not a great team, no. but it was it stemmed us mini two-game losing streak. Yep. Um, early on, where and a, and a JQ flash of brilliance. Yeah, yeah. JQ flash of brilliance. St. John's at home mm, okay. um, yep. was Come a big win. win. Yep. Yeah, they were ranked at the time. Yep. It looked like you know it's going to be an uphill battle. Marquette at home mm-hmm. later in the year, which mm-hmm. stemmed a three-game losing streak. Yeah, Xavier in the Big East tournament, that overtime game that went in our favor. Yeah, and then Seton Hall for the Big East tournament championship. Yeah. So, what do you got? A lot of tough ones in there, and it, I think it depends on the flavor you want to take. I'm going to go Seton Hall Big East Championship, and I've made this point before on the podcast. I'm not a big – at this point, I'm spoiled where I'm not a big Big East Championship type guy, but this one was special because you kind of knew that this was going to be Phil and Eric's last big win, and you really wanted them to get it. And that said, it was a great game. It was an amazing atmosphere. The teams were evenly matched. You saw great performances by Seton Hall's best players, our best players. And it was really what you hope Big East championships can be. Mm -hmm. It was just an awesome thing. And to see the elation on Phil's face at the end of that, even though he got called for that travel at the end. Ridiculous travel. Ridiculous, yeah. But it was just, you saw how happy he was, and that kind of put it in perspective. Like, this guy's already won two national titles, and he was so pumped to have this kind of as, like, his win, if you will. Yeah. Like, that was that was so cool. Yep, yep. I get that. Um, it was funny. If you didn't pick that, I was going to pick it. Well, then pick it. Just say it. You can agree with me. I'm going to go with Marquette. Okay. And I'm going to go – the angle I'm playing here, though, is is three losses in a row, three bad losses in a row. Yeah, yeah. Look like the season could be falling apart, and then that kind of pulled the team back together, which I think led to the Seton Hall Big East okay. championship uh, victory. So I think the Marquette was the start of everything. Mm, okay. I also think it was an important signal for my pick earlier for Jermaine Samuels yeah. okay. um, coming out party and all of that. So I think that that's kind of where I'm going with that with that game. That's cool. why it was my favorite win. It meant a lot more for the future of the season and the future of the program. Mm, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Long-term yeah. ramifications. I yep. like it. All right. Next. Next. Worst game of the year. And there were some candidates, so let's go through them. Michigan blew us the fuck out. Yeah, payback's a bitch. Yeah, (laughs) rough. Um, Furman lost at home in overtime. Furman, hashtag the pavilion is cursed, loss. The Penn loss, which was significant because it ended our Big Five streak. Mm. And we did not win the Big Five championship this year. Um, I'm grouping three of them together, the St. John's. Georgetown Xavier losses, mm, uh, yep. all in that one week. Yep, Oof. and then the Purdue blowout. Yeah. 
All right, I'm going to go with, to me, the worst loss. Um, I think the Michigan one. I think it was the Michigan one for two reasons. Uh, One, it totally... One, just losing there totally reset expectations for the season. Okay. Like, we were top 10 ranked coming in or top 15 ranked coming in. A lot of talk about how great we were going to be. A lot of talk still early about how great JQ was going to be. We saw basically none of JQ. And the second factor was we got blown out. So it wasn't just a reset of expectations. It was like how we lost that just made it so dramatic. And there was so little positive that you could take away from it. And I would imagine in that locker room, it probably made the dynamic and made the season a lot more challenging to get started there. Okay. What do you got? So I'm going to go with the hmm, – there's a lot of good things here. I mean, easy one – I'm not going to pick it, but the easy one would have been the Purdue loss to end the season because it was a season ender. Yeah. And but I, I almost felt like that's a kind of a cop-out. It's a cop-out, and I would say that there was no stopping Carson Edwards that day. Yeah, and there was no expectation based on seed expectations that you beat Purdue. Yeah. We thought we could, but yeah. – No, it's not it, – look, yes – you would have liked a closer game, and we thought we could win. We thought we were going to win, but you weren't going to stop Carson Edwards. Yeah. I actually think that I'll go with the pen loss. Interesting pick. Yeah. I would not have picked that, yeah. clearly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you did not pick that. I it. did not pick that. Yeah. All right. So the reason why I say the pen loss, and it kind of triples into our next couple categories, is one, I thought it was Jay's worst coach game of the season. Mm. I thought. I, two, the significance of losing the Big Five streak. Uh, three, it was what spurred on the JQ second choice for a reason. Oh, I forgot about post. that. Oh, um, and that four, terrible. it was actually our worst loss of the year by the numbers. Um, so a lot of people thought maybe it was Furman. No, Furman was a, was actually not a terrible loss. Oh, you mean Ken Palm was by the numbers? Oh, okay. Penn was the worst loss of the season. And so there are a lot of significant factors that played in here that caused issues for this team. Yeah. Um, longer term, could we have been a five seed? Could we have been a four seed without the pen loss? Maybe. Um, and we'll get into the what ifs actually in our next category, but I'm going to go with pen, okay. the pen loss. All right. Fair enough. All right. So pen loss, drink up. Woo. All right. So tease the last category, tease the second to last category is the biggest what if. Of the year. Mm. So we talked about some improvements, which we could have been, this could have been on the list if they didn't improve. Uh, but there's a handful of what ifs uh, that kind of played out this year and kind of leave us saying or what's going to happen going forward, etc. So here's what we got uh, JQ is probably the one that comes to mind immediately for everybody. Yeah. Uh, and we really say what, what if his role is playing time. Yeah, playing in but general. The, what, the, the big what if is actually what if we actually got a five star top. I don't know. Recruit? I would say what if what if he would have kept his essentially role in the UConn game, which was like 15, 20 minutes a game, role right. player. Right. That's my what if. What we've seen that. Okay. Anyway, um, Cremo, if he actually hit his threes. Yeah, I'm if, not asking what, for anything else. What if, what if Cremo hit his threes at a rate similar to what he had shot last year or the year prior? Right. At Albany, yeah, even even his even that, his year prior. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. I wasn't asking for defense, nothing else, yep. etc. What if he just was more of an offensive weapon? Yeah. 
um, what if you take away some of the losses that we had? The three that come to mind immediately are Furman because it went to overtime. Penn was a two-point game um, or three-point game. Marquette was a one-point game. Yeah. Uh, you might be saying, oh, well, Kansas was a close game, but that really wasn't close. We were, it it kind of got close yeah, at the yeah. end. Uh, what if Cole Swider did not break his hand mm, right after he had a coming out party against Providence? Yep. Uh, and then what if the Finn wasn't cursed? <laughs> Is the final. Oh, God. Um, all good ones. I think the answer has to be, it has to be JQ. Yeah, I, I, think, I think, look, they're all, um, I think you could talk about Cremo. No, but no. The difference is the difference is that JQ has multi-year ramifications on the program. Correct. If he if he plays fifteen to twenty minutes a game and carves out a role, it potentially changes the offense. And maybe he sticks around. And oh, I'm sure he would. If it was a decision based on what happened this year, yeah. And he had to think about it, yeah. Which you don't know how true that is or not, right? But let's just say let's take him at his word and say there was actually a decision making process yeah. and it wasn't a given, right? Then yeah, presumably yeah. that would have impacted it. So I, I think that's it. Yep, I think that's it. I'm gonna give in. I, I'm picking JQ too. I think it's the right answer. I, I will give a, a, a nod to the Furman Penn Marquette results. If you get two, three, two out of those three mm. go the other direction. Um, and yeah, if you do that, maybe you get another others that go a different direction. But whatever, you take two out of those three and you go in another direction. All of a sudden, we're four seed. Your prospects in the tournament look a little bit different. Your expectations go in a little yeah. bit different. Could have changed the game. Sure. All right. So finally, final category, and this is something that we brought throughout the year, um, is we did a Shaq Fitman play of the week. Yes. Uh, we did Alpha Dog play of the week. We're kind of mixing the two. This is the Shaq Fitman play of the year. The two first ones that we're going to go off the top are actually not plays. They're just kind of general <laughs> plays that we know happened that we can't point to any specific one. They, um, they encapsulate a broader theme. Yes, well said. Is Booth's ridiculous contested three-point shooters that went in. Every time you're like, no, don't shoot that, and they go in. Yeah, from like 25 plus. That was a constant theme yeah. throughout the year. And... <laughs> Pascal's dunks and blocks and just generally man handling everybody. Yeah. Those were the first two. Um, then we actually have a Pascal play, one Pascal play. Um, there was the tip in versus Xavier, which was a ginormous play. Booth put it up and he was the only one who was in there. And it was to tie the game, right? Like yeah. Basically, it was, it was a like a second or huge two Huge moment in the yeah. game. It was big. Yeah. Um, and then we have three Samuels plays. And they're all jams. Man jams. They are man jams because that's the only way Jermaine Samuels knows how to dunk the ball. Right. Like He's man. like a fucking man. Right. Like man. Jermaine Samuels. Jermaine Samuels. Windex. Terrible. <laughs> Samuels had in the lane versus UConn like just mm. an absolute crush dunk yeah. that, that, that ended the game. Yeah. It was already over, but it ended the game. Um, Samuels in a broken play type of situation Picked up an end one on a massive dunk where he took off. It wasn't quite like an Air Jordan from the from the, from the free throw line, but it was pretty far out there and just totally posterized a guy on Creighton like huge. Yes, yes. And then to open up play almost in the Marquette game at home where he went for that big game, um, 
he took off and just absolutely threw down the hammer um, at the pavilion, which sent the crowd into a frenzy, got his confidence going, yeah. and really kind of changed his entire season. Yeah. So those are the those are the six candidates. You have the three pa- Samuels jams. You have the Pascal Tippin, and then you have the Pascal dunks and blocks in general, and the Booth ridiculous three pointers that he always hit. All right, my call. We're sticking with the theme here. Jermaine Samuels against Marquette for two reasons, for three reasons. One, it shows his dribbling ability. He took somebody off the dribble there, which was awesome that I loved. Two, it started him off for the game. And three, like you mentioned, it started his rebound for the season and beyond. That is my man jam Shaq fit play of the year. Okay. I love it. I'm actually not going to pick Samuels. Well, you're incorrect. <laughs> um, and I have a reason for this. And it's primarily, we got Booth an award. Samuels has seen his fair share of awards here. Gillespie's seen his awards. Pascal is yet to receive an award here. Mm, interesting. And I think that is uh, a crime. Mm, interesting, okay. Pascal deserves a drink. All right. And Eric Pascal. He's tryout. He was in the combine. He's trying out for teams and the thing. I am giving all of Pascal's plays, including the tip-in, all in. And if you don't agree with me taking two or whatever, taking the whole thing, run your own podcast. Deal with it. I'm picking Eric Pascal is Shaq Fit Man Play of the Year, Shaq Fit Man Player of the Year. Ooh. He is the guy, Eric Pascal. It was Phil Booth's team, but man, it was Eric Pascal's team. We're gonna the biggest thing about this year that I feel like gonna drop up. Obviously, other than losing the point guard role, is Eric Pascal's grit, determination, toughness, and everything that he brings to the table on that team, leadership, etc. We're gonna miss that in a big way, and you can only hope that Samuel steps up and is ready to take on that mantle. Um, Otherwise, we could be in for a long season on the toughness side. But, sure. man, Eric Pascal, he's the man. He's the Shaq Fit Man player of the year. And so for that, I'm giving him a broad Shaq Fit Man play of the year. I like it. Boom. There you have it. Those are the 40s. There you go. Everyone, congratulations. Drink up. We out. Not kidding. Yeah. Not, not quite. Not quite. Um, I love it. Do we, right. Should we send cases of Sanzo to the winners? Oh, I think we should. Yes. <laughs> if Sanzo didn't have to, if Sandra didn't have to deliver them himself, <laughs> <laughs> that'd be good. That'd be good. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, that was that was the forties, guys. Um. We're gonna be back hopefully in a couple weeks, and maybe do a little NBA draft preview if we get around to it. We make no promises on that front, but I guess that kind of wraps up this season. Yeah, the, the draft will wrap up the season. That'll be our official end of season Yeah, too. yeah. We'll do an official end of season just to wrap up and close out. The draft, we'll find out what happens with Lowry. It might be a short hit, quick hit it's podcast. True. It's true. Uh, but we're going to wrap that all up and put a bow on this entire thing once the NBA uh, draft is concluded. I love it. So that's it, guys. Really appreciate you guys sticking out with us. Sorry for the long break, but really not that sorry. Um, we have our reunion, our 10-year reunion coming up. Yep. We're going to look to potentially do a podcast from there if we have any more intel on where things look to be shaken out yeah. um, between Lowry and Pascal um, going into the draft. Uh, so that's all we got. Thank you again for listening to The Full 40 brought to you by Nova Insider. And as always, let's go Nova. Nova.